right, good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming this morning. Uh, just so if you do not know, my name is Michael Jarvis. I am the uh, youth pastor here, uh, Pastor Nathan Slaughter. He's gone this uh, weekend with his family, visiting other family. So I'm filling in for him. I have a couple of quick announcements. <clears throat> the uh, pie auction that we had last Sunday evening went very well. Thank you to everyone who came and supported the youth. Thank you to those that donated pies or uh, desserts and those that bought. Had a very good turnout. We raised $1,918. <clears throat> Thank you. That money goes towards helping the youth pay for Young Christians Weekend or camp, and that's what the target use is for that. So thank you for your support and help there. The other uh, announcement that I have is, for the youth is the progressive dinner happening this coming Saturday night. <clears throat> I have the sign-up sheet, and once again, as a reminder, this lets the youth get into your homes so that you can get to know them, they can get to know you. So we're going to different church families' homes for each course of a meal. Currently, we have the appetizer, soup, dessert, and main course uh, filled in. There is a spot for salad if somebody else would like to help. If not, four courses is enough for them. So if you're interested, let me know. Uh, as far as signing up for it, uh, I need to know by Wednesday, and uh, there are release forms on the back table, or permission forms, uh, in order to be able to ride the church van, I need those filled out as well. Uh, this coming year, the board uh, would like more of the church activities, especially if they're off-site, uh, to have permission forms filled out by the parents. Uh, one thing that I'll probably try to do for the regular church teens is get kind of a, uh, a broad one that kind of covers the whole year so I don't have to hand them out every activity. So anyways, those, that's what's coming up. I need to know by Wednesday so I can let the households know uh, how many kids to prepare for. <clears throat> uh, another thing I'm going to announce, and I forgot to announce this first service, is starting in January, my wife Joy and I are looking at uh, starting a young adults Bible study. So if you're interested in something like that, uh, please let me know. I'm not sure yet what day of the week we would try to do that, but we're going to try to start something along those lines. All right, so getting into our uh, main topic of the day. <clears throat> Today I want to talk with you about uh, the subject that we've been covering in Sunday school class with the teens on Sunday mornings. We have been looking at hermeneutics. Anybody heard of that term before? Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the study or interpretation of the Bible. So we had this class when I was uh, going through Bible college. It was our first semester. And it was called hermeneutics. And it, it, it helps you to understand what you're reading. So why this study? Why did I choose to start out with the teens studying hermeneutics? 
Uh, I'm going to make a statement, and you might agree with me or disagree with me uh, on that. But I believe that today's world, and we as believers during this time period, have more access than at any other time period in history than other believers. And yet we as believers today put in less effort than any other time period of believers. So we as believers, we have access to all this information. Uh, These right here are Bibles in different translations and different styles. These are study Bibles. So these are just the Bibles alone that I have. Um, And then these are all the helps. And these are just a small portion of myself alone that I have. And I have access to all this. And the other thing that we all have access to is a phone. The phone has access to just about everything on here as well. So we have more access today than any other time period of believers. So... And yet today, we put in less effort to study the Bible. We probably know less about our Bible than any other time period of believers as well. So why is that? There could be many factors, but I believe one of them that is contributing to it is that we do not know how to handle God's word. We do not know how to study God's word. 2 Timothy 2.15 Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly handling the word of truth. I grew up in a uh, Christian home. We were uh, grew up in a Baptist church. Uh, we were there every Sunday, twice uh, twice on Sunday, actually morning, evening, every Wednesday. Anytime the door was open, we were there. So I grew up in a Christian household. And yet, I really didn't feel like I knew how to study the Bible. And when I got hired on to work with the youth, I I asked myself back in April, what is something that I wish I had had more of? I grew up in that Christian setting, but what was something I wish I had more of? Uh, One thing that came to my mind, I was never really taught how to study the Bible. What am I doing with the Bible. We were told, read your Bible daily. That was about it. So this is the Bible I had growing up. Read your Bible daily. Alright, that's great. So, I read Proverbs chapters 1, 2, and 3. I'm done for the day. Got that done? Check that off. That's kind of the mentality I grew up with. I did not understand or know how to read the Bible. So, That is something I wish I had had young when I was younger. So that's why I started with this study, the study of hermeneutics with the youth. I have actually tried two different studies. Uh, The first was the material that I used in hermeneutics class in Bible college. That really didn't work out so well. It was going more in-depth into study behind the study theories, and it was not very practical beginner stuff. So I ended up finding a different study recommended by a former teacher. And it was this study here that I was able to find. It is called Bible Study 101, A Practical Guide to Studying the Bible by Dr. Robert Thompson. 
It is this study that I'm going to try to condense down for you into just one sermon. So we've been covering this since June, and I'm going to try to give it to you in a 30-minute sermon. So, the reason for this is to pique your interest in it in hopes that you will do the study yourself. I just want to get you interested. So hopefully you will ask me for a copy, and I can give you one. I have permission, actually anyone can go onto his website and download it, but I have permission from the church to freely print it and give it out to those who want to do the study. I just cannot charge you for it. So, my goal is to get you interested in the study in the hopes that you will do it yourselves. Um, The study has kind of two sections to it. You have the second half of it, which is the three points of... Uh, in your handout, it lists three steps. That's the second part of the study. The first part of the study actually takes up almost half of the study. And it shows us uh, how to use your Bible. It shows us different things about the Bible. It shows you different Bibles. So there were two, ten different topics that we talked about. The first topic that it goes into is Translations. And once again, I mentioned I grew up in a Baptist church. Um, My father is very much one version only. And that is my background. And so I know that for Baptist churches, translations is a very sensitive topic at times. And I really tried to handle this with the teens uh, in a certain way so that I was not overstepping my bounds and contradicting what you as parents have set up for your teens I I tried to present it in a way that this is how the author presents his opinion. This is my personal opinion. But do what your parents want you to do. So that's how I took this um, approach to translations. Uh, Dr. Robert Thompson, he handled it in a pretty easy way. And he kept it simple, easy to understand. He says there are good translations and there are poor translations. And once again, I I did my best in presenting the study on translations to not contradict what uh, the parents have set up for their household. I presented the author's thoughts and my own. Um, I did not tell them that they had to agree with me or the author. um, But I am more than willing to discuss it with them, with you, on why I use the translations that I use or my opinion on them. There are two different areas of Bible translation. The first area, and it's not discussed in the Bible study because it's a massive area of study, but that is which manuscripts to translate from. And like I said, that is not covered in the study, so I'm not covering that. The second area is the method of translation, and this is what he goes into more. There are three areas of method, or there are three methods to translating from the original Greek. And actually, I have the original Greek here, or best as we can get it, since it's a a dead language, so they kind of have to guess on some things. But this is the original Greek. It's all written in complete Greek. So that's what they're translating from. So the first method is formal equivalence. And this is word-for-word translation. And the first one that does that is an interlinear. Uh, You're welcome to come look at these later. It shows the Greek words, 
and then it has below it the exact English translation. So that's an interlinear. It's the most word-for-word that you can get just about. I do not know of one more exact. The other ones that are word-for-word, and I actually learned about a new one earlier today, but the ones that I'm familiar with are the NASB, the ESV, the King James, and the New King James. So those are word-for-word translations. The second is dynamic equivalence, and this is thought-for-thought translation. So in this, you would have the the RSV, the NIV, and the NLT. That takes a general thought, a phrase, something like that, and then it translates it into English. The third one, and this is the one I, I personally don't recommend this for Bible study. It is kind of fun to read, but for actual study, I would not recommend it, is paraphrase. This is not a translation. This is a paraphrase. And that would be the Living Bible and also the Message. Those are paraphrases. So once again, these are the uh, so the ones that I use are personally in my study are King James, New King James, the NASB, and the ESV, kind of in that order. And like I said, you don't have to agree with me, but those are the ones that I use. They're a word for word translation. So the next thing that we looked at are study Bibles. And I had fun with this. When we were doing the class, I took all these books in there, and we got to compare different ones. At least I had fun. I don't know what the youth did. But we looked at study Bibles. So these right here are the study Bibles that I own. This stack here. This is the one that I use the most. It's the one I've had the longest. I had it since Bible college. It's the Ryrie Study Bible. I like how it's set up, how it's broken down. Sometimes his notes are not quite right, but it's laid out very well. It has a lot of extra content. Uh, You have chain reference Bibles. And then this one is a lot of fun to read. This is a chronological study Bible. So basically it takes the entire Bible and it breaks it, and it goes in order of history. So from the beginning of creation, and then it, so you'll have parts of Psalms, over here, parts of Psalms over here, because it was written at different time periods, How their best guess of when it was written. And it goes through the Bible in a chronological order, and then it also inserts a bunch of history notes. The other study Bible that you'll see are age-targeted. This is a teen study Bible. Um, I am personally not a huge fan of those. I think they take a shallower approach, especially children's or teens' Bibles, than they should. Um, But if it gets them into studying the Bible, then I'm fine with that. I'm just, for my own personal opinion, I think they take a shallower approach and kind of tone things down. So those are Bible studies. Those are, sorry, study Bibles. The next thing that we looked at are the mechanics of the Bible, And this, the mechanics of the Bible are stuff that they've added to the Bible. Every Bible has stuff added. And I apologize, I should have had a picture of an original manuscript up on the wall, but I don't. If you look at it, it is straight lines of letters. There are no breaks. Um, Sometimes they have word breaks, but not all the time. There are no book headings, there are no chapter headings, there are no verse headings. 
there's no punctuation. It is all straight uh, text. So that is what they're trying to translate. So everything in this Bible, all this extra stuff, the title, the verse breakdown, the paragraphs, the punctuation, everything, all that is added. That is not scripture. That is added to help us understand scripture. The cross-referencing is added. The red lettering. Red lettering, that is the words of Jesus. You only find that in the New Testament. That is added. Not the words, but the color red. Uh, One thing that we looked into a bit was italics. Uh, Why are some words in the Bible italicized? And there's actually some translations use two or three different sets of italics. Italics are words that the translators inserted in to make it flow in English. They are not in the original Greek. So, so it'll be the word and, or the, or wherefore, whatever. It's, it's sometimes connecting words, something like that. They insert these words just so that the verse makes sense in English. Those are not original uh, text. Uh, also, anything at the back, the concordances, maps, all that stuff is extra stuff. It's not inspired word of God. It was added there to help us understand and study God's word. Uh, the next thing that we looked at is context. And this came up multiple times during the study. Context. A rule of Bible interpretation tells us that seeking the biblical author's intended meaning necessitates interpreting Bible verses in its context. What does that mean? Every word in the Bible is part of a verse. Every verse is part of a paragraph. Every paragraph is part of a book, and every book is part of the whole scripture. It's all supposed to work together. This particular point is covered several times, like I said, and that's because of how important it is. You cannot just take one verse and say, okay, it says this, and so it has to mean this. You have to look at the verses before, the verses after, the whole paragraph, and sometimes multiple chapters, to find out exactly what the meaning of that verse is. Uh, The next thing that we looked at is exegesis versus eisegesis, and honestly, the teens seem to have fun pronouncing these or mispronouncing them. Exegesis is the exposition or explanation of a text based on careful analysis. And then eisegesis often brings with it a preconceived idea of what it means. So, easier way to understand it, exegesis, this is what the text really means. Eisegesis, what I think the text means or what I want it to mean. So when we're coming into a Bible study, when we're studying a set of verses or a verse, you want to find out what it actually means. Don't come into it saying, this is what I want it to mean, this is what I need today, or this, is, this would help me in my situation, I need it to say this. Don't do that. That's reading into scripture. You want to exegesis. You want the, to find out what the text really means. Then you have eisegesis, what I think the text means. So you want the first one. So we discussed that quite a bit. The next thing that we discussed was languages. 
We looked at how translating into different languages has difficulties and that the final product is rarely a perfect rendering. <clears throat> so anytime you translate from one language to the next, something is lost in translation. It's just going to happen. So when you're translating <clears throat> from the original Greek, which is actually a dead language, it's not the same Greek they talk about they speak today. When you translate the original Greek into English, something is going to get lost in the translation. It's just going to happen. <clears throat> so here's an example, and I apologize if anyone in here speaks Dutch, because I'm probably going to butcher this. But in Dutch, the phrase met de neus en de butter valen, in English that translates to to fall into the butter with your nose. And the literal meaning of it is unexpectedly get lucky. However, that does not what we think of when we fall into the butter with your nose. The, uh, how we use it in English, the phrase that we would use is to hit the jackpot. So, <clears throat> you, uh, to hit the jackpot, and like I said, when we think of falling into butter with your nose, that's not to hit the jackpot. That's kind of unfortunate, unless you really like the butter. All right, so that's, we looked at languages, and that is something that we uh, discussed a bit about how you're going to lose something in translation. One thing, and this is a side note, when you're looking at missionaries and how they translate other languages into, or translate the Bible into other languages. I have friends down in Brazil, they have to go into these tribes, and in some cases they have to, well, they have to learn the language, all of them have to do that. But in some cases they have to create a written language for that tribe, and then they have to translate that, or then they have to translate the Bible into that language. A, a good missionary who is sound will translate from the Greek into that language, not from English translation of the Bible into their tribal language. So hopefully that makes sense. Uh, another thing we looked at is Bible commentaries. Uh, this right here is Matthew Henry's commentary. This is one commentary of the whole Bible, and honestly, this is a tiny one. <clears throat> I have a set of commentaries on the Old Testament alone, and it's about this tall. So these are different men's opinions on what the text means. They have their reasons. They explain it. They go into depth on the verses. So we did a study on those a little bit. The next thing we looked at are Bible encyclopedias. <clears throat> Bible encyclopedias contain articles and definitions to thousands of words and terms used in scripture. Some study Bibles will have a section about this. So the study Bible I like to use the most does have a section on that. It has an encyclopedia. We also looked at Bible dictionaries, and it's similar to an encyclopedia. We also looked at Bible lexicons. A lexicon is a reference tool that provides meaning, semantic ranges, and significant uses of biblical words in their original language. So it helps you understand the original terms. Once again, study Bibles will have uh, 
a lexicon to some degree. Sometimes it's more in-depth. Sometimes it's not. I mean, it just kind of depends on how thorough the author or the, uh, the author of the study Bible was. In that case, that's Ryrie. <clears throat> so all of that was just a precursor to how to study the Bible. So now we look at the three steps for how to study the Bible. <clears throat> so the three, there are three steps to studying the Bible, and they must be done in order, and each step must be done. So you can't do step one, then step three. That doesn't work. You have to do step one, two, and three in order. If we do it out of order or skip a step, then it will lead to a misunderstanding of God's word. And I inserted this here. I know it's discussed in the Bible study, but it's not discussed at this point in the study. Uh, one thing that will help is if you open with a word of prayer. Uh, when you start studying the Bible, pray first. Ask God to open your eyes to help you understand his word. It is the Holy Spirit working in your life that helps you understand God's word. If the Holy Spirit is not in your life, then you're not going to understand it how God would want you to understand it. So pray first. All right, so the three steps uh, to studying the Bible. First step, step number one, observation. What does the passage say? When you are starting this process, the first thing you must do is read the book several times. The next thing you must do is read it again. And finally, the next thing you must do is read it again. So when you're studying something... Try to read it at least three times, at least. This allows you to get the big picture before attempting to find the details. Often having a good overall handle, sorry, often having a good handle on the overall meaning or emphasis of a book will help make the details pop out. So if I'm studying the book of James, I want, or, and I'm looking at particular verses, it will help me if I read through the whole book of James. And then read through it again. And then read through it again. This is part of the observation process. One thing that helps... In study Bibles, my study Bible has this, I have these pages here that help me prepare in studying James. He gives a history of James a little bit. He talks about the author, talks about when it was written, the context, and he even goes down to break down the chapter and order of events. Stuff like that, getting your mindset prepared for the book will do that. And by reading the book three times will help you understand the big picture. Another example of this is if you read Galatians several times, you can't help but notice that Paul is addressing the difference between law and grace. That's the big picture of Galatians. So, first thing you're looking for, try to get the big picture. <clears throat> the goal of the observation step is to observe the passage correctly and to determine the answer to the question, what does the text say? That is what we're trying to find. In the study that Dr. Roberts, Robert Thompson does. In the study, Dr. Robert Thompson describes and explains what we should be paying attention to in the observation step. He describes these as building blocks. So we went through, and there was 
at least 25 of these building blocks. So we went through these 25 plus, and he explained what they are and how to use them. Uh, some of these were actions and roles of God. So in this verse, is there an action or role that God is playing? In the verse that we're looking at, is there an action or role that people are playing? Who's the main character? Who's the main person in the verses that you're reading? Uh, look for contrasts. Look for figures of speech. Figures of speech, this came up multiple times in the study as well, because it's an area that people can get uh, lost on or they can misinterpret. Figures of speech. Look for lists. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is a list. Look for lists. And once again, you might have to look for more than just a couple of verses to find the list. You have to look for the verses above and below, the context. Look for repetitive words. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I believe, is the love chapter. Love is mentioned there multiple times. That's a repetitive word. Look for shifts in the story. Look for connecting words. So these were just eight of the 25 that we went on and studied in more detail. He also goes on to list another 25 to 30 that, he, that we did not even get into in the study that you could study on your own. Uh, look for key words. Look for commands. Look for warnings. Look for questions, and if you're looking for, if you find questions, look for the answers. Maybe there's an answer right there. Maybe you have to go somewhere else. Observation is crucial in obtaining a good understanding of any Bible passage. <clears throat> Here are some things to avoid, though, in the observation steps. So he had all the building blocks of what you need to do. He all, goes on to list four things to avoid during this step. The first one to avoid is speed reading. <clears throat> I am guilty of this. Wake up in the morning. I have three chapters to read. Let's get it done. So, I read John 6, 7, and 8. All right, we're done. M move on to the next thing. Avoid speed reading. We must learn to take our time getting as many details as possible from the text. Honestly, personally, I'd rather to see someone study just five verses a day and actually study them than to read the whole Bible in a year, power read through it. That's my personal opinion. Take a, few, take a handful of verses, really study them out. <clears throat> the next thing that we need to be wary of and avoid is trusting our memory. We're all human. We all forget things. We all misunderstand things. Uh, check it out, go back to your Bible, and read it. Try not to work from your memory too often. R go to your Bible, read it out, see exactly the wording, make sure you have it right. Giving up. The third one is giving up. Uh, this was a tendency I, every believer faces at one time or another. I don't understand this passage. This passage makes no sense. What in the world is going on here? What is God trying to tell me? And the tendency sometimes is just give up. Oh, forget it. What we need to do is sometimes take a step back, set it to the side, and say I'll come back to that here in a couple of weeks and see if I can see something new, if God reveals to me what he has to reveal. Or the other thing you can do is go ask someone. Uh, you can talk to Pastor Nathan. You can talk to me. Uh, we might have some ideas on what God is trying to communicate there. You can talk to elders. 
there are people that you can find to help you out. So don't give up trying to figure out what God is trying to tell you. Uh, the last one you need to avoid in the observation step is immediate application. Observation is step one. And I'll give you a sneak peek. Application is step three. Don't skip step two. <clears throat> Many passages of scripture may seem to be easily understood, especially to those who read the Bible frequently, and the desire is to immediately apply what we've learned and skip the interpretation step. The danger of immediate application is that, rather than understanding what the author intended the passage to mean to all, we tend to apply what the passage means to us personally and immediately. If you're skipping the middle step, you're going to possibly get it wrong. I'm not going to say you're always going to get it wrong, but you're skipping something. Step number two is interpretation. The interpretation step builds upon the observation step by asking and answering the question, what does the text mean? So we had observation, what is the text saying? Now we have interpretation, what does the text mean? Interpretation is not inventing a meaning, but discovering the meaning that already exists. We looked in depth at five clues that will help determine an author's main point. So you have the author of Philippians. Uh, what is his main point? Look at the context. Number one, look at the context. Interpret a passage in harmony with the verses around it. Number two, cross-reference. Let scripture interpret scripture. This is another thing that came up a lot and I personally emphasize. Let scripture interpret scripture. <clears throat> Most, pretty much all study Bibles, and then you have chain reference Bibles, they have, in beside it, they'll list different verses in the Bible elsewhere that talk about the same topic. Use those verses. Uh, they're a great help. Let scripture interpret scripture. Uh, look at the culture. Number three, look at the culture. The Bible was written long ago. So when we interpret it, we need to understand it from the writer's cultural context. So the Bible was written 2,000 years ago plus. You know, the Old Testament was written more than that. New Testament was right around 2,000 years ago, a little less. It was a completely different world than what it is now. Keep that in mind. They're writing to a completely demograph different demographic than what we are today. So keep that in mind. However, one thing to add to that, even though it was written way back then, it is still applicable to us today. We have to find, though, what God has for us. <clears throat> conclusion, number four, conclusion. You can now begin making a preliminary statement of what the passage means. Now, the fifth one, consultation. You can use commentaries now to help you understand the passage better and to compare it. So, once again, back to either the study Bible notes or commentaries. This is when I would recommend using them. After you've already studied it out for yourself and you think you know what it is, now go to other people's opinions on what it is and see if they match up. If they match up, fantastic. If they don't, now you need to figure out why they don't. And if you're going to uh, explore his opinion, 
figure out if you're going to match it, if he's right or if you're wrong. And then if you're right, then hey, great. The guy who wrote the commentary was wrong. But now you can use the commentaries. Remember, they are written from a human perspective. It is their opinion about the Bible. They are not going to be correct all the time. One thing to pay attention when you're uh, doing commentaries or even study Bibles, <clears throat> who is the author? Their uh, perspective uh, is going to influence their writings. Uh, if you have a Calvinist or Arminius, they're going to interpret verses different. So try to find one that, uh, that you support and then go with his. But once again, keep in mind, he is human. He is going to make mistakes. In the interpretation step, we studied 22 guidelines for interpreting any passage of Scripture, such as the setting, the words, the grammar, history, and symbolism. The key to remember during this step is that the Bible was written for normal people to understand, not merely for the superintelligent or those who claim an additional knowledge from God. God wants us to understand his word and to be able to do the next step. Step number three, application. Application is the process by which a reader puts into practice the truths and principles he or she has learned in the observation and interpretation of the Bible. Application can be made by asking the following questions of every passage of Scripture that you study. So we looked at 14 to 15 of these. There's probably more. But we looked at, like I said, 14 of these. Here are just four of them. How does the truth revealed in this verse or verses affect my relationship with God? How does it affect my relationship with God? How does the truth revealed affect my relationship with others? How does the truth revealed affect me? And how does the truth revealed affect my response to Satan? If there is an answer to any one of these questions in your verses, that can be your application. The application step is not completed by simply answering the questions, though. The key is putting into practice what God has taught you in your study. In James 1, 22 through 25, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You can read and study all you want, but it will not matter one little bit unless you put into practice what you have read and put it into practice in your life. You can study and know all this stuff, but if it's not coming forth in your life, it doesn't mean anything. Although at any given moment you cannot be consciously applying everything you are learning in your Bible study, you can be applying something. So, we all know a bunch about the Bible, but there's no way, once again, we're human, there's no way we can always, all the time, be putting into practice everything we have learned. 
but we need to be trying. We need to be doing the best that we can. We need to be applying something. When you work on applying a truth from Scripture to your life, God will bless your efforts by conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. Remember, it is the word that changes lives. It is God's word that changes lives. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So, as a review, the three steps, observation, interpretation, application, in that order. I hope that this will pique your interest in the Bible study on basics. Once again, this is hit. Uh, I am allowed to make copies of this and distribute them. Uh, uh, The church is allowing me to print them out. Or you can go online to his website. I can give that to you and do it for yourself. Uh, But if you would like to do this study on your own, you're more than welcome to do it. I would encourage you to do it. Uh, Please come talk to me. I can get you a copy later. So that, that was my whole point is to get you interested in the study, to get you interested into studying God's word more. Remember in uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. God knows that we are not perfect and that we will mess up at times. There will be things that we don't understand about God's word. There might even be things that we get wrong, but he still wants us to study and try to get to know him better. So, here's the challenge that I have for you. Do your best. Uh, Ask questions if you haven't. But basically, just go do it. Get out there and study God's word. Thank you.